Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello and welcome to Sega Talk, episode 53. I'm Barry. With me is George. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fantasy Zone. And I'm surprised oh, you didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. Yeah, well, you know, uh, that's the funny thing. You always say, welcome to the Fantasy Zone, and then you're playing Space Harrier. Like, what's up with that? They should say, welcome to the Space Harrier at the beginning of Fantasy Zone. I agree. Uh, <laughs> so, like George said, we're covering Fantasy Zone. This is a game that I'm honestly shocked we have not done because it stars Opa Opa, who we use for our little Segabits logo. And um, before we dive in, because this is going to be a, a pretty interesting, in-depth episode for such an early game in Sega's history, I just want to remind people we are on Patreon. You can oh. support us uh, any level. We read your memories at the end. Um, you can also pick the episode, pick the game that we cover. It could also be a developer. It could be a event, whatever. So there's a tier for that. Um, you receive these episodes a week early, and we've got some other stuff in the mix uh, that we're thinking about. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little community, but we'd like to grow it. Yeah, um, it, it's the only way that I'm going to cover Sonic Riders. So if you're not paying for it, there's no coverage of Sonic Riders ever on this podcast. <laughs> Maybe, right? Or on anything. You're going to go out and stop people from talking about it, I well, heard. I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to delete it from existence. <laughs> Unless you join the right. Patreon. Exactly. Um, so let's let's show you what a show is like. If you've never listened to us before, we go through and talk about the um, history, the development, the gameplay, the story, and we break it all down for you. If you've never played the game, I feel like we still give a pretty good idea of what it's like. So you're not going to be going in here going, oh man, I got to do homework. They're talking about Fantasy Zone. No, if you've never played it, you'll, I believe, find this enjoyable. At least I hope you will. So let's uh, let's jump right in. Originally released in 1986 for the Sega 16 arcade hardware, and it was also the arcade board's second game. Fantasy Zone was a side-scrolling shoot 'em up or cute 'em up, as some mm -hmm. call it, uh, for its bright, colorful, and cute graphics. The game starred Opa Opa, who some cite as one of Sega's early mascots. I'd debate it, but we can get into that later and kicked off a small but strong franchise of games. Fantasy Zone is more well-known for its many ports and remakes rather than its sequels and spin-offs, though the sequels and spin-offs do exist. The game has appeared on the Master System, the MSX, the Famicom, the NES, the TurboGrafx-16, the X68000, and many other consoles and handhelds. So, George, I'm wondering, what is your earliest memory of Fantasy Zone? Um, well, I did not play it, obviously, when it came out. Uh, I think this is a big Japanese title because, well, we'll talk about it in the cameos, but there's a, it seems like a lot of people in Japan have like nostalgic feelings about this because it was during the golden age of Japanese arcades in the 80s when there was like a big economic boon in Japan. And uh, mm -hmm. it's funny because this kind of has money involved in it where you kill the item. You, know, you have to shop. But uh, the first right. time I played it was maybe in the, like, when I first started getting into arcade emulation. And, like, I was maybe in high school, I would say. 
And I mm. remember playing this and a bunch of other shoot 'em up games because it was basically my ability to play these really hard games for free uh, in my own time and not having to pump quarters in because to beat Fantasy Zone, in my opinion, you have to have super cat-like reflexes, uh, <laughs> understand what's happening before it happens, especially later on in the later levels. And there's a lot of quarters you're going to be pumping in to get there, you know, at that level. So the right. idea of uh, an emulator just pumping in quarters whenever I want it, it's cheap. I get it. But I think it's about you getting better at the game as you play every single time. Not about you pumping quarters. Well, I mean, for Sega, it is about pumping the quarters. But for me and, right. you know, to have fun, it was nice playing it on an emulator. I really enjoyed it. I really think it was ahead of its time. Because I still think it holds up really well as a video game, as a shoot 'em up game. Um, outside of the, you know, really big curve of uh, difficulty, I think if they kind of mm -hmm. evened it out a little bit in the end, uh, it would be perfect. Uh, but what's your opinion on this uh, Sega Classic? Um, well, I uh, my earliest memories of it, I actually did not play this until much later. I became aware of Opa Opa through his various cameos. I always knew he was like a thing. But I didn't really know what he was, like a little bug maybe, a little <laughs> spaceship with wings. It was very strange. Um, uh, so I'd say maybe 1999, 2000, I really became aware of like Opa Opa through the Shenmue cameo. Oh, yeah. That was a big one. Um, the fact that he had little feet was really strange to me. Like there were two different ones. So I was like, something's up with this guy. Uh so I really did not play Fantasy Zone probably until I got my hands on a Master System, which was within the past five years. Um, but then there was the 3DS release, which I know I played. So I'd probably say I, I got the Master System release, and then shortly thereafter the 3DS version came out, and I played that. And then from there, you know, I... I realized fantasy zone was on compilations that he was uh opa opa was everywhere and i didn't even know it you know they yeah didn't, they didn't really make it very clear that like you could play a, a remade fantasy zone on the ps2 or that it was like hidden away on the ultimate genesis collection like he was always there but sega didn't really <laughs> tell you he was always there um it's kind of interesting. For, I was gonna say uh -huh. it's kind. Of, it's kind of interesting that we've seen Fantasy Zone in the West more in the last ten years than we probably saw him. Probably, I mean, since his Master System debut, probably. And I think, oh, absolutely. And it's been yeah. more front and center. Like, uh, I think a lot of people, when you asked on Twitter what their memories were, they said all oh, the 3DS classics. I, I mean, the sub -se or Sega Ages or whatever they're called, 3D classics. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, uh, here at the site, and we'll talk about this later too, you know, we use Opa Opa as like our little mascot. We kind of did because we thought it was kind of a joke. Like, you don't see this guy much. Um, people look at it and go, who is that? And we were like, it's it's a really underutilized uh, kind of iconic little image that Sega obscure. doesn't use anymore. Yeah, very obscure. So we thought, I mean, again, we'll get into this later, yeah. but, you know, it just... It just is kind of funny that Opa Opa, about four or five years after it went into the logo for the website, that Sega started to really use it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of, that kind of works in our favor because now everyone's seeing Opa Opa and they're like, oh, yeah, Sega Bits logo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, as for the designation of Cutem Up, I always found that strange. Um, I think it's kind of a weird genre distinction. This is just my opinion. 
I, I don't think it's necessary to call out the cuter looking shmups from the other ones by giving them like this cute little name. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, Fantasy Zone is probably harder and more hardcore than some of the most hardcore shmups that like have black star fields and silver ships and, you know, like grotesque aliens. And you go, oh, yeah, I can beat half that game and no problem. But Fantasy Zone's like, oh, you want to get to level three? You well, know, like, <laughs> I, I was gonna <laughs> what say, do you think about that? Um, I When I was back, you know, when I was looking through shoot 'em ups, it, it kind of helped because there's so many shoot 'em ups. So if there was just another shoot 'em up, I would probably mm-hmm. would have had a hard time finding it. I found all the cute em up games like this and its uh, cousin Twin B from uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and caught in through the subgenres they did. So it yeah. helped me find it, but I understand what you're saying. And not only that, all these cute em up games are totally different. Like the mechanics behind yeah. them are different. Like Twin B is like more like a Gradius or whatever it's called, or the one where you shoot. It's uh, it's kind of like an older school or a school one where you start from the bottom and you're shooting upwards. Uh, this right. one is side scrolling. So to me, it's like they look cute. That's about all they have in common, really. These games, and and so I, I mean, I guess if all you're looking for is cute graphics, then for sure, cute 'em up is the thing. But I think all shooters or shoot 'em ups are all totally different, and maybe they should have sub genres within them or whatever. But like, just the same because they're cute. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a yeah. little too uh, vague. For sure, yeah, and it also makes you think, oh, this is going to be really accessible and easy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And that's that's what I thought. I was like, oh, if it's cute, it's probably made for kids. No. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's dive into the story of Fantasy Zone. Believe it or not, there is a story. Very and complicated so, uh, tale. Yeah, right? Um, so I'll, I'll read about it. Here we go. Long ago, far away in space, there existed a Fantasy Zone where a courageous hero called Opa Opa, the player, fought in a valiant cause to rescue the Fantasy Zone from its enemies. In the space year 6216, the interplanetary monetary system collapsed, causing all of the planets to become panic-stricken. According to an official inquiry made by the Space Guild, someone is leading the Minon planet forces, using them to steal the foreign currencies of other planets and with the funds construct a huge fortress in the Fantasy Zone. To put an end to their ambitious plans, Opa Opa promptly takes off for the Fantasy Zone. Where? <laughs> and then and then, and then, then the stage has some more information. But you get the idea here. Um, so what do you think about that? I mean, knowing what we know about the game, do you think it actually sets up a pretty good explanation for why everything's happening? It's kind of weird that they're making this whole, like, oh, mo- money has collapsed. People are poor in these planets. Rebellion has yeah. started. And it's like, do, 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 do. When you start playing, it's just, like, <laughs> super cute, like, foresty. And, like, yeah, it's just, like, no immediate danger, really. I mean, if you really think about it. Um, I don't know. It just seems more grim and dark when you read the story where you're like, oh, I'm going to be playing some, like, space marine or something and then you play like cute little opa opa uh shooting things throwing bombs it's kind of weird maybe it's tongue-in-cheek where it's trying to take itself super serious like other shoot 'em ups but it's really like super cute and like bubbly when you look at it i think that's what they're trying to do with this because like shoot 'em ups back yeah. then were like thunder force and stuff whereas like heavy metal soundtracks demonic like presence and like 
trying to be like <laughs> trying to be super extreme and this story seems kind of extreme but then when you play it it seems very like kirby like you're playing a kirby game you know but even kirby right. has like gods you fight and stuff so i don't know is this like a japanese thing using ultra cute aesthetics with some deep dark story in the middle yeah, it is strange because they talk a lot about money, but when you look at these things, they're just like floating blobs and weird little creatures, and I just can't imagine them like what are they exchanging. Money for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the thing is, is money does play a very big role in the game. Uh, enemies drop money, you pick up money, you go to the shop. So, I mean, it, it's almost like they overly explained why the characters were dropping coins to begin with, which is kind of funny because you know you play the Mario game and you never think why is it that when Mario jumps on the enemies like. He gets coins and points and, you know, like, what is that? But yeah. here they're very clearly saying, like, okay, you're going to be seeing some weird stuff, but we're going to explain the money part. The money part we've got down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's a big point in the uh, game, too, the money. Oh, absolutely. And um, when we get to the developer interview, it's actually, uh, I didn't even include it all. He talks so much about the the money and buying things and the currency system. It seems like... It was probably his favorite part of it, I'd have to say. <laughs> um, as far as the gameplay, so yeah, you play as the sentient spaceship Opa Opa. So yeah, there's no one inside that. Like, that's him. Yep. And players are tasked with saving the Fantasy Zone from an army of evil invaders. So you move left and right in an endlessly repeating play field, and players must eliminate 10 floating enemy bases while also avoiding smaller enemies. And using a radar at the bottom of the screen of 10 squares, you can see where you are based on a blinking square. Mm -hmm. And white squares contain no bases, and red squares contain yet-to-be-defeated bases. And as I was making these notes, my, my notes kept changing because I'm realizing the different versions, they'll put circles at the bottoms, so they'll put squares, they'll have different numbers of bases... So yes, in the arcade one, it's it's ten bases and, and squares. But mm -hmm. in other ones, you might see circles, you might see six or eight bases or whatever. It's it's not very consistent between versions. Um, initially, players only have two firing modes. So there's the twin lasers, which fire straight ahead, and then the bomb that falls in a downward arc. Um, you can, however, upgrade weapons in the parts shop, which is a floating balloon that appears at the start of the level. Touching the balloon enters the shop, and you use currency you picked up from defeated enemies. And weapons and engines can be upgraded here. You can also swap out existing weapons. And then upon defeating the bases, you go up against a stage boss, which we will cover in the next section. So, but first, uh, what are your thoughts on the gameplay of Fantasy Zone? And what did you find the most enjoyable? And what was the most frustrating that you think could have used improving? So, okay, first of all, take off the time limit on in the shop. If I want to look and enjoy the song in the background and just chill or go to the restroom or whatever, who cares? Don't put 30 seconds on it. And second, I don't know how much it was. It's like a minute. Anyway, Yeah. second, uh, I like how it starts, but sometimes I think the curve of like enemies, like you'll t take three or four bases off and all of a sudden you turn around and the this whole screen is swarmed at enemies and you're like, what is going on here? So, I mean, <laughs> let's, let's take that down a little bit more. Um, I actually love the gameplay. I, I love the effects, the music. I think it's very unique. I guess we could, you know, compare it to Twin B, but I think the execution of gameplay sets these two games apart because on, yeah, on the covers, they look alike. Twin B and, um, 
and uh, Opa Opa, but when you start playing the game, they're totally different games. The only thing they have in common is the uh, the aesthetic, I guess, look. But they play totally different, yeah. and this is totally, I think, better than, more unique than Twin V, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, as much as I'd like to have a forward moving or top top down moving uh, game where you get to explore more of the fantasy zone and move through these interesting places. Having it locked into this scrolling screen um, is a really nice, tight, focused way to, you know, get through each stage. You know where you are. You know where you're going. It's not like you're going, oh, my God, how long is this stage? Which, to be honest, as much as I love shoot 'em ups that's one of my negatives is, like, I'll play some and I'm like, this is a 20-minute stage. Yeah. I don't have time for this. Or you'll die and then you'll own, go. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, this one you can go your own pace, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, like, or you'll die in in those other ones, and then you'll go back to the very beginning, and you're like, are you kidding me? At least here, like, if you were to die, and I actually don't think you lose all your progress, but if you were to die and lose all your progress, it wouldn't be that big a deal, because you'd at least be like, well, I've got the money, I've got the weapons, you know, like, you're not at complete loss, and plus you're not like, oh my gosh, I have to go through the whole scroll again. You know, it doesn't take that much time, really. No. Um especially with the first first stage like i can blast through that like probably in 5 minutes with the boss and everything oh yeah for um, sure yeah yeah as far as frustrating though i feel like yeah the the parts shop um it's it's not perfect i kind of wish it was a little more accessible since it appears just at the beginning of the stage like it would mm-hmm. be kind of fun if it if it appeared every so often even if it meant you don't get to see it right away mm-hmm. um and I mean, that's about it. I don't have too many complaints. I Some people don't like how the prices of things go up if you buy them again and again. But I also yeah. think that's teaching you not to um, be rely. cheap. Like, to yeah, actually, or rely yeah. on just like buying weapons and getting through the stages as quick. Like, I, I understand what they're doing. But, you know, this is something they also do in like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta where health costs more uh, if you keep on buying it and dying. So it's trying to make right. you get good i guess you could say and that's interesting because um in bayonetta she says welcome to my fantasy zone you know oh yeah that's true <laughs> um so let's let's dive into the stages and bosses here um so the first one we have plaleaf which i guess zone. you could say is like what's that <laughs> it's like the green hill zone of, of fantasy zone well it's like yeah it's like planet leaf but it's the yeah. planet of greenery um, yeah, so in this stage, yeah, you see this one a lot because you play it first. And, of course. you know, as, as is the case with a lot of Sega fans, um, it becomes iconic. Like, if you were to ask me, what do the bases look like? I'd always think of these ones that look like weird, like, bounce houses with eyes and wings. Um, what these were they weird thinking? little walking guys. What were they, they thinking when they designed this? I mean, they had to be on some sort of drugs, right? Like, all these little sentient beings and, like, I don't know, it's so weird, like, a little, like, what is this little thing? It's like a fly, it has, like, little wings on it. I don't know, it's strange. And they're, like, it's these, just, these things fly without wings, though, the other little brown uh, creatures. So, it's to me, it's like, do you need wings to fly in this world or what? Yeah, the, the whole game's aesthetic looked like doodles. Like, it looks like they did it once and they're like, that looks good, let's move ahead. And it actually, you know, really works for the whole eclectic, goofy, fun nature of the game. Um, oh, I there agree. is a little, I mean, you'll see some enemies that look like little 
almost like Opa Opa, but like a different type of spaceship. So I would assume they're sentient too. Um, so there aren't like tiny little guys in them, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, aesthetically it's, it's very strange, but it's a great introduction to the game. Um, I won't go through all of the, all of the little enemies, but like the names are like Moo Colin, uh, Quili Quili, Sothram, Botoko, Thaya Thaya, like, it's just forgettable, that, you know. It's <laughs> uh, that's my favorite part of the game is that they gave everything like its own name instead of just going level one, level two. They gave it like their own name. Some of it actually has you know some sci-fi resemblance, like La Dune. What we're going to talk about is the Dune, the movie that's coming out soon. You know, uh, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So uh, I do like that aspect of it, and it, it, I mean, obviously they're just throwaway names they they came up with, but it gives it some. Very fantasy uh, feel, right? But yeah. Exactly, yeah. And then the, the first boss is that big wooden guy that shoots some um, little green leaves. And this, I mean, this guy reminds you know. me, this guy reminds me, always reminded me when I played him because I played Kirby first. The mm-hmm. tree from Kirby where he throws wind. And it, like, so every time when I played this game later on, I was always like reminded of Kirby. But I, I don't know. I don't want to. What what year did this game come out? Because it's not on here. Nineteen eighty six. So I'm pretty sure this predates Kirby because like it came out on the Game Boy, the first one. So I'm pretty sure. Right. It yeah. Yeah. So it yeah. Just and then, me of it. and you know the the bosses they don't really have names to my knowledge. Maybe they do, but I I haven't seen that in my in my uh, studies. Um, but they're uh, they're all very unique. Um, when we get into Tabas. The planet of fire. It doesn't really look like fire. It looks like uh, jello. It's like pink. Um, this is like a girl's bedroom. Right. It, yeah. it does look like a girl's bedroom. <laughs> but then when you get to the the boss, it's a like weird circle, angry circle guy. Kobe. And um, yeah, exactly. He's got a very grumpy face. Um, yeah, just like wacky all around. I I, I struggle to ex- describe most of these bosses. Um, it's supposed to be a sun, right? Like, a, I don't know, a star maybe? I don't know. It's weird. It's very... Is uh, it? I don't know. Yeah. And then... I mean, it's up to your, you know, to the people that are playing the game, I guess. And then the the next one, so Ladoon, the planet of sand. This one... But um it's water, I think, right? I mean, I am I looking... I think so. It's planet of sand, but I mean, I think I got the wrong slide maybe. Let me see. What does it, it look like? Does, does it look like it, coral? Yeah, yeah. And with a with in the boss is like a a little like circle pancake guy with wings. Mm, yeah. Okay, I got it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I got yeah. This, this the pictures got screwed up, so there was like this water level with coral, and then there's this other coral one, which I think this is the one you're talking about with the cameras. It looks like cameras. It's like it's yellow, like, like sand colored. Yeah, and then it's blue, like light blue, and then there's like cameras as bad guys. They look like cameras. Yeah, it's it's yeah. all very strange. See, this is the thing. Like you can go through these, but when you're it's almost like a game show. Like describe the the stage in fantasy zone and the other person picks it. Like it's so it's like it's mushrooms. So random. It's like the mushroom the bases look like mushrooms right here. And then these look these little bad guys that you put look like uh, cameras and in the background it looks like there's like planets, I guess. I don't know, like a planet. It's very well, you strange. Said it's, you yeah. said it's like the movie's Dune, so yeah, right? Exactly. This is actually right <laughs> out of the new movie that's coming out, so it's a preview. <laughs> uh, let's let's look at 
Dolimica. And that's uh, AKA Super Planet. That's blue. And uh, that's, that's it's the got one like wind little. Sooner. But yeah, I got it right here. It's like a yeah. ocean. Now that's where it starts. You like you kind of start seeing the theme here. You've got like a very snake-like, maybe octopus enemy. Um, it's been described as like a typical bullet hell opponent. So you yes. destroy the arms; they swing at you. You know, it's it's very expected, I guess, for the genre. Nothing too crazy. But um, my personal favorite one, and I've always been a fan of these, is uh, if we go to Polaria, the planet of ice. I've always been a fan of the um, ice levels of the ice levels. Yeah, and I love I love the names of the enemies here. So here's the enemies for the um, ice level. There's Jerry. Uh-oh. There's M F Sourthumb. There's Bont, and then there's Kowlun. <laughs> wow, who came up with um, these names at Sega? You think they just looked up names on uh, the internet or whatever? I don't know. And then the boss is a snowman, but he turns yellow at one point. So it's like a pea snow man. Okay. So they're, <laughs> is that a joke from the t- the team, you think? Like, yeah, it's the Maybe. pea snow. Get it? Because kids pee in the snow. It could be. Um, the next one, Mockstar. I always or thought, the planet of clouds. Yeah, I always thought Mockstar sounded like I don't know, such a, like a metal or like some weird like industrial band name. I don't know why. When I was a kid, when I heard about it, I was like Mockstar. So I don't know. It's just a strange name. It's just they put two random words together. They're like mocking and star. All right, it sounds cool in English. Let's put it together. That's how I feel like they came up with some of these names. And the the boss too is really bizarre. It's like an eyeball with like snowballs. And, yeah, it comes into view from six different angles and then increases the chance of you being destroyed before you even see what's going on. Um, So it's an incredibly cheap boss. Uh, Definitely. I I don't know how to describe it. I I don't know how to describe anything here. Like, let's go to Pocarius, the planet of water. Now, here, I see the water. Little little bathhouses right here. Exactly. But then, like... The villain is just like a big block with uh, little fangs. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, apparently it doesn't attack. It just um, teleports you. So you th- I that's mean, weird. It, it's just weird because it doesn't fit with the planet. I feel like maybe they had a... I, maybe they couldn't get it the water effects on this enemy to look good or something. Because like, I've noticed a lot of their enemies are like very like square like the first one is just the piece of wood that opens his mouth and you have to hit him in the mouth right it just kind of right. it's kind of like what i thought they were you know running out of time how it was back then sadly but yeah but then what's interesting now when you get to um Selfar, the next one the planet of evil spirits which is what's all cool take. about this one then yeah it's it's a, a boss rush yep um so before the final showdown with the end boss, you go through all the other bosses. Now, it's interesting because in the interview, um, the director said that he was like, oh, this was one of the, this was the first Sega fa- game to have a boss rush. But I'm like, dude, Space Harrier came out a year before this and they had a boss rush too, didn't they? That didn't count. <laughs> did they have a boss <laughs> so, rush or was it like, did they miss some? I'm trying to think. 
I, I could have sworn they did I something mean, like that. You beat Space Area way more than me, so I'm going to have to take your word for it and say, yes, there was a bus rush in it. You think he maybe he meant for himself at Sega? Maybe. I mean, so the 18th level of Space Harrier has six of the game's bosses in a row. But not all of them. So... I mean, it's not all of them, but you know it is a boss rush. If they ever do a, a Fantasy Zone like anniversary and they have like a party and then they have the creators there, we should get there and be like, Space Harrier did boss rush before you, okay? And I want you to correct it, all right? People on the internet are upset, or I'm upset <laughs> to say that. But uh, what do you think about how every single level was outside and like... Uh, like a natural world or planet. They kind of all feel like they're their own, obviously, thing, you know? But this one is like right. a tech planet. This is like kind of like a motif that's, you know, Sonic and other Sega games would do where you start off in these little, like, you know, areas and slowly go to, you know, more tech. This one is like, just pushes you into the, like, this is a... Yeah, a it, it could almost be like the, the um, maybe enemy planet or the enemy base, um, and then when you get to the final boss, it's this giant silver Opa Opa, but that's actually his father. Ooh, Star and, Wars! Oh, Star Wars ending plot spoiler. Uh, Luke, yeah, uh, Vader. <laughs> um, so with this boss, six little like alien creatures are inside of him, and they move in different snake-like patterns, Spur- and you have to sperm. avoid them and shoot them. Yeah, pretty much. They're pu- 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 um, And and then I I wanted to include this one as well, so. Oh. Uh, oh, this one God. is um, Dragonland. Okay, I see. Well, oh, first, wasn't this level with his dad super hard and ridiculous where you have to hit the little, like, boo-boo things? Because I thought it was ridiculous when I first played it. I'm like, who, who could beat this in an arcade, right? I don't know. That's just my opinion. It's hard, man. I don't know. Maybe there's someone with, like, godlike reflexes is laughing at me right now. Oh, it's super easy, George. You're an idiot. <laughs> But uh, let's talk about Dragonland. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. So Dragonland, it's a secret stage. It's exclusive to the X68000 version of the game. Um, so to access it, what you have to do is you have to go to the... In the first stage, the the bases need to be attacked and destroyed in a certain order. So from left to right, according to positions on the radar. And then as you do this, they'll drop the letters H-A-R-R-I-E-R you collect those, and then you'll be taken to this stage after Pokarius. And if you remember, Pokarius is all the way right before Selfar. So it's an Easter egg in the first stage of the game that you then need to wait to enjoy after all the hell you're put through right before the final stage. And um, what's interesting is this one is it's Dragonland, which is based on Space Harrier, it yes. features enemies and music and a boss from the game, although everything is altered to work with Fantasy Zone's sideways perspective. And, you know, a lot of people, and again, I'll get into this in a little bit, but a lot of people have pointed to this and said, you know, like, this is um, proof that Fantasy Zone and Space Harrier are in the same universe. universe. Yeah. Right. But um, this... He... Oh, sorry, go on. Well, this version of the game was not developed by... Um, Sega. So this is actually an official version with a Easter egg that was made by an external team using what they thought was canon. So, and I'll get into it, but the director of um, 
Fantasy Zone does not see a connection to Space Harrier. It was unintentional. Oh, no. So, that kind of makes me upset so, because I wanted to say, do you think they should have like done more stages with like uh, references to stages from Space Harrier? But the director mm-hmm. just dashed my dreams right there because I think these are the two franchise. I, I always thought that they had something in common. I mean, you start one game saying, welcome to the Fantasy Zone, you know? Right, yeah, but it's it's interesting because in like well, I, I, we'll we'll get to it. Let's end the game first. Gotcha. So um, so the end of the game, the uh, title screen reads: Opa Opa, the player has now destroyed the invading army and restored peace to the fantasy zone. However, he has mixed emotions because his long lost father was the chief of the enemy forces. One burning question that will remain with him until his dying days. Was my victory really worth the price I had to pay? The end. That's a sad So what do you ending. think about that dark, sad ending? I mean, it's just kind of like I told you, these cute em up games kind of have like these like weird emotions to them. I guess maybe it's like uh, spurred by anime at the time. Uh, I like this. I actually really thought the ending was really cool because... Uh, it kind of reminds me of Star Wars, The Empire, you know, uh, where it, it ends at a downturn. It ends at a sad note. And, like, mm-hmm. not all endings have to end where you win and everything's perfect and life goes on. Sometimes it could be bittersweet. And they did a bittersweet ending for a game that you probably did not expect to have a bittersweet ending. <laughs> and that's pretty cool in my opinion. But, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It. I mean, it goes dark, but... It, it's kind of funny because, you know, if this was one of those gritty, dark shoot 'em up games, I think we'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. But here it's a quote-unquote cute up but he's, you know, zigging when other people think he'd, he'd go the other direction. Um, so, this, this, so this is a cool bit I was looking forward to getting to. Um, oh. Speaking of Space Harrier, so Twitter user Persona-sama, who is a former senior animator at Lab Zero Games... He worked on Skullgirls and the Scott Pilgrim game, which is seeing a re-release now. So you're happy Thankfully. about that, right? Yeah, I'm very happy about that, for sure. Yeah, I'm, and I'm happy so the, for him that he gets to, you know, get it out there again. But yeah. yeah, I mean, absolutely. He's not with the studio or working on this now, but it's it's awesome that, you know, a big part of his... Uh, career His um, career is finally out there. Because this game, like, went offline, like, what, six months later? Uh, I think so. I'm not 100% sure. I I have it on the PS3, but it's nice to have a remastered version with all the DLC and, like, be able to play with people online again. That's going to be pretty uh, slick. Because, I mean, not everybody wants to connect their PS3s or 360s again, I guess. That's true. Yeah, so... Um, So, Persona-sama, he is also a big Fantasy Zone uh, fan. And, basically, if we ever want him to notice us and retweet us... We just post about Opa Opa. And he, of course. And he will. But, you know, he's he's up there. He's one of the big boys that uh, not only follows the site, but, um, you know, also interacts with us. So that's always cool. I like chatting with him. I'm getting excited with him about stuff. Um, but he actually has a blog, um, a Tumblr, and he took time, <laughs> many years <laughs> yes. on and off, to actually form a timeline of Fantasy Zone and Space Harrier. And now, I did say that the original creator did not intend to have the connection. However, later games did make that connection, so it has since become canon. 
However, I will argue that that um, very early version with the Dragonland zone yeah. was probably one of the one of the earliest um, attempts to really tie the two together. So, in his timeline, and you have the website up here, right? Of course, I'm looking through it. He he has like pictures and like I've seen this before, oh, yeah. but he goes into depth. It's like a scientific presentation you put. You know, you give at Harvard. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, we won't spend too much time on this because I, I think it's worthy of just visiting on your own time perusing. But he he went through here and basically made a spacier timeline. So he found that Fantasy Zone was the first game in the franchise. And um, when you scroll through, you'll find that he also discovered that Space Harrier 3D predates the other Space Harrier games. So what's kind of interesting cool. is that, yeah, the Master System Space Harrier... Um, actually is a prequel to Space Harrier. And Space Harrier and Fantasy Zone 2 take place in the same year. Space Harrier 2 takes place after that. And then Super Fantasy Zone takes place sometime in the future. Um, but then he also goes into detail about how M2 kind of threw a wrench in the works and they started presenting like other years, a different timeline. Um... But then he has adjusted that timeline using that information, and if you and when, as you scroll down, you'll see all of the um, all of the information about the games, all of the uh, um, what do you call this, like the story uh, scrolls. It's just it's fascinating, and he what I find really interesting is he found that um, in Space Harrier 3D. The enemy is the creature you fly in Space Harrier, so you tamed it. And that became your beast that you ride. Isn't that cool? That's pretty cool. Yeah. And yeah, it's so it's just fascinating. It's a really cool deep dive into the lore. Um, he also talks about uh, how he knows internally that Sega planned on having a shared universe for Space Harrier and Fantasy Zone, at least with the bosses Ida and Ida 2. So... You know, there's there's all of these little connections here. It's very interesting. They, they kind of make too. this. They, it kind of makes sense, though, if you think about it. I mean, they're both in space. It's something that you could kind of just say, yeah, they're in the same universe. But you ever right. think that we'll have a uh, Easter egg where uh, they kind of meet together, like uh, like the actual space harrier guy is uh, like an unlockable character, but you play him as a. Uh, Opa Opa game or something for like a future re-release or something. You don't think that will ever happen? Or you think that Sega will like to keep them uh, separated as much as possible? I don't know. I mean, I'd love to see them. I know in the past, uh, and by the past, I mean like maybe 15 years ago, they were going to do some sort of like Sega shared universe, but that was with Golden Axe, Shinobi, things like that. Mm -hmm. I honestly would love to see them come back and, and dive more into this. I'd like to see new Fantasy Zone and new Space Harrier games, but for platforms like um, like the Switch, you know, because we're not going to have uh, Sega Ages anymore. So why not have M2 make a uh, Fantasy Zone 3, you know, or a Space Harrier 3? Like, they pretty much have already made new Fantasy Zone games um, with the 3D uh, Classics releases. So they could do it. And, you know, have a, a crossover between the two. Maybe if you own both games on your device, you unlock something. I don't know. 
Um, so yeah, big shout out to Persona Sama for this. I, I'm not doing it justice just because it's so much to take in, but it's just, fa- it's awesome to see all of the storylines here because it's so hard to find this stuff. You have to like hunt and peck and <laughs> search for PDFs and all this crazy stuff. So let's, let's dive back into the show notes. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this. So are you ready for some development, George? Oh, finally, after all this talk, we're barely getting into development. All right, let's Mm -hmm. go. All right, so um, the arcade version of Fantasy Zone was developed by Sega R&D 1, which we have covered on past Sega Talk episodes, including number 15, Golden Axe, and number 23, Shinobi. So also known as Sega AM 1, the team still exists to this day, and they've merged with AM3 as of 2008. Mm. Modern AM1 projects include House of the Dead Scarlet Dawn for arcades and League of Wonderland for mobile. And of course, the AM1 of today is quite different from the AM1 of the 80s, and Fantasy Zone was born out of the need for Sega to create their own shooting game, or I found out, as it's called in Japan, an STG, which is taking the shooting game oh i see <laughs> um also uh, over in the west we call them shoot 'em ups or shmups what do you prefer i actually like that stg i think it makes sense yeah i, I like the stg it makes it makes sense and it sounds i don't know uh i like shoot 'em ups if i say them here uh, i don't like i don't like to like you know uh try to make it smaller or whatever what was the other one you said shum ups no that's too weird Shmup. i understand <laughs> why, why people say them, shoot 'em up i guess but it's like yeah, you can't call it just a shooter because that's too generic. Now people would think you're talking about a first-person shooter or, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many shooting games in America. Doom, you know, first-person shooter. So, yeah, shoot them up, I guess, makes these separate. But even then, it's very vague. Like, there's a lot of things that change in the shoot up game, right? Like, they make them different, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, as we've just, as we talked about earlier, you have the top down, you have the left to right, you have the endless scrolling. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's ever done endless scrolling top and down. I think that would be a pretty interesting take on Fantasy Zone to have, like, a upwards and downwards one. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Um, so let's talk about the director and designer of the game, Yoshi Ishii. And. I read through the interview with him. So this interview is from 2014. It's from the magazine STG Gameside, uh, issue 10, and it was translated by Schmupulations. After reading through this, he's he's a very funny guy. He's a he's a little jokester. Um, and I can see why he's made it to where he is, because he is honestly like listening to him talk about game design and development, I got I got very big hints of like Yu Suzuki, you know, like he, he thought about, he thinks about things in very similar ways to Suzuki, but I feel like he has a lot more, um, fast, fun and funny approach. Whereas I feel like Yu Suzuki is a little more like thoughtful and stoic and, uh, uh, I don't want to say genuine, but he's very emotional. I don't know. (laughs) He seems like a, like, you know, the guy who makes Shenmue is not like gonna, you know, like prank you. At the yeah, office. for sure. No. Um, so he, he was given the direction by Sega. They said to him, make us a Gradius killer. It was and huge. Gradius was a hot new shmup from Konami. And a hurdle Ishii and his team had was to overcome was creating an impressive looking game despite having the limitation of the arcade hardware of 128 sprites. So remember, like 
a shmup, when you look at it, it's bullet, sometimes it's like bullet hell. Mm-hmm. And you right there are probably using up like half your sprites with the bullets. And then you got the other characters, and you got the um, you've got the items, and so there were a lot of limitations. And as is, I think, the norm for a lot of Sega developers, when there's a limitation, instead they look for opportunities to use that to either their advantage or they find ways around it that are uh, really in um, shows a lot of ingenuity on their part, both as designers and as uh, people who have mastered their own arcade hardware. Um, Ishii, he wanted to use the hardware to its fullest, noting that they found a way to double the amount of sprites on screen, but only when Opa Opa dies. So (laughs) from, uh, 128 to 256. So that's why when you watch the game, they really went all out with the explosion, which is interesting, you know, that I don't know how they did it. Maybe what they, this is just a guess. Maybe they found a way to make everything static and double the sprites through flickering. You know what I mean? Maybe that's what it is. So it's like... You, you see them all? I don't know. Um, <laughs> another hardware limitation was that they were limited with the number of sprites per horizontal row, meaning something had to be done to allow projectiles to appear. So the workaround they did was they used the background layers and they made the lasers thicker. So it seemed like there was more and they were bigger, but they were in the background. Um, this, however, meant that they could not do diagonal or reflecting layers. Um, so first off, what are your thoughts on Fantasy Zone actually being a reaction to Gradius? Like, this wasn't some guy having an idea for Opa Opa. It was more like he was tasked with go I, after Gradius. It's I, like it's like Sonic with Mario. It's a reaction. I mean, you know? it makes sense because, like, everything... Uh, well, there's a show where, from Japan's point of view, it's like this, like, drama Japanese show where it takes place about friends in the 80s growing up during this arcade scene and one of the big episodes is Gradius coming out and how big it was and how everybody would go to this arcade center as friends and try to beat it after school or whatever. So mm-hmm. it, it, it was a huge thing for Japan. But my thing is like, like I told you in the beginning, like Twin B is more like that and this is its own thing. So my thing is he's trying to make a killer, but he didn't copy the game, which is kind of interesting because when people usually are taxed to make a killer game, you know, like, you know, we, we, we've been longer, <clears throat> long enough in this like industry looking at, uh, marketing. Like when Sony makes a game like Kill Zone, it's right away, it's like the Halo killer. And it's so obvious, like, right. oh, look, you're trying to copy the first person shooter and all these other things. And it's also in space and it's in the future. Uh, this one is more like, I don't know. It's, I'm surprised he didn't bring up Twin B and the comparisons with Twin B, but. I still think that it's totally different than both these games, but I, I just compare it more to Twin B than uh, Gradius for sure. But what, I mean, what's your opinion? Well, yeah, like like you said, with Twin B, that came out a year before. Um, That's what I'm saying. So there, there is there is definitely a comparison there. Um, in his own words, Fantasy Zone actually originally had outer space backgrounds. But he felt it looked too much like a Gradius knockoff, so he went with something more colorful and showy. He felt that at the time, too many shmups were dark and metallic, and Fantasy Zone would stand out with a like bright pop sensibility. So I, I found this weird. Um, I want to get into Opa Opa now. Here we go. Uh-oh. As for Opa Opa, the name was derived from what people in Brazil shout, he claims, when they're excited. That's true. However... I looked I mean, it up. And I don't know if that's what it means, but I know it's Brazilian. Sorry. 
Right. Yeah. So o- what I looked up is that Opa is more like a shout of, of, you know, joy and jubilation. Oba is, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Oba, O-B-A is like a happy one. And then oh. Opa is more like, wait, hold up. You know, so I have to wonder if he either was mishearing Oba or if he listened to Brazilian music and they were doing like an Opa, like stop the band, like Opa, 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 let's dance, you know, like stop everyone, you know, like hammer time. Yeah. Um, so what's really funny then is that from that, the plan was to even theme Fantasy Zone around Samba music. So you think Samba de Amigo was crazy? Imagine in 1986, Sega released a Samba de Amigo Schmup, but instead of a monkey, it was like I don't know what you know. Like, can you imagine um, them having like bongos and like just like weird, more like uh, Southern American influenced music? I think it would have given it a, a like totally not. I don't know about a different vibe because it still have the graphics, but it definitely would have felt more otherworldly for Japanese audiences for sure. Because like, oh yeah, they're so isolated in this island over there. You know, uh, for me culturally, I mean, I'm not that into Brazilian. I mean, South America, my family's from Mexico, but like, I mm-hmm. would understand that they that it's more Latin flavored or whatever. So I would have seen that, you know, obvious right away. The the change. I don't know. What would you have thought? Somebody that doesn't you grew you grew up in the East Coast. It's not a lot of um, Latin people there. Uh, I would just say compared to California. Well, I grew up um, in the Midwest. I lived um, on the East Coast for a while, too. But as a kid growing up, I actually was really into Brazilian music for a while. Mm. I have some uh, vinyls, um, Brazilian like remixes and stuff. So uh, I, I honestly think if I heard about this, because um, I was a Sega fan and I was listening to Brazilian music at the time, if someone told me, Hey, there's a Brazilian sh- uh, shooter game. You should check it out. I probably would have played Fantasy Zone earlier. Um, in fact, they even wanted to title the game Opa Opa, but oh. they claimed uh, various circumstances led them to call it Fantasy Zone, which, like, that would have been insane. Imagine that, like, Opa Opa, the Brazilian themed shoot 'em up from Sega. Yeah, I mean, and. It would have made sense, though, with, like, Twin B having his name on the cover of his game. So, why not Opa? Right. Yeah, exactly. And despite the fact that they kind of pulled back from that and didn't go all in on the Brazil thing, um, and I'll, you know, you'll notice me bringing it up a few more times throughout this, but you do see the influence. The music is very Brazilian. Um, the, the whistle, the beep, 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 you know, that's from Brazil. Brazilian music. You hear it in the music. Um, And as far as aesthetics, I mean, he was telling them, make it a flashy pop style. So even if it wasn't literal Brazil, I'm certain that he was telling his team, like, listen to the music. What do you, what do you feel and see? And then people are like, oh, I feel like it feels bubbly. It feels kind of twisty. And he's like, good, you know, make twisty pink mountains and make the enemies little bubbles. Like it's, it very well could be more of like a, a synesthesia kind of thing, like Res, where you know, where it's like they were they were drawing what they felt from the music rather than literally looking at a picture of a band and being like, oh, well, take that guy's hat, you uh, know, something like yes. that. Um, so it it very well could be still the the ultra Brazilian shoot 'em up that we never thought we'd be playing, but. Um, yeah, it's it's very bizarre. Uh, also in the interview, they asked why Fancy Zone scrolled left and right. 
And to him, the reasoning was, um, if he's going to make the game, he wants to do something that hasn't done before, been done before. And having just made Flicky, so this is the guy who made Flicky as well, he loved that style so much that he decided to apply it to a shoot-em-up. Now, I personally think because they were kind of under the gun to make this game, he went with it because it was already developed. But I could also see him just loving the style so much because he seems to really enjoy his work on Flicky. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think um, do you think it was the right choice to kind of copy Flicky? Uh, I mean, this yeah, I guess. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, Flicky is one of those games where. I like the game, and I think it's a fine little game, but I, f- I feel like a lot of people hate that game. I don't know why. Hmm. Uh, I, I think it's a fine game. I don't know. I I, I guess it, it worked out in the end because I, I really enjoy Fantasy Zone, so yeah. And by the way, I looked it up. It's not it's not uh, Gradius that, that, that's like Twin B. It's Zivius. It's another shooter mm. game. Sorry. I just like thinking, I'm like, wait. This that's a totally different game I'm thinking of, and I had to look it up. It's Zivius that's a lot like Twin B. Sorry, I just wanted to well, put re- that out there. Regardless of the the title that they went with, I think either Fantasy Zone or Opa Opa really stands out from all of those other shoot 'em up titles. Like they all run together. Gravy, like I could make one up right now and be like, "Hey George, so." <laughs> Um, exactly. Well, that shows you right there, Zivius and Gradius, and it's like I I got confused, and I literally just had to look it up right now. So like that shows you that these things all run together. And uh, Fantasy Zone is very, I guess, direct to. It's like you're going on a Fantasy Zone. You're going into a totally different universe right here, and like the art right. style matches that at least. Absolutely, it's like a wacky world or something like that. Yeah. Um. Uh. Getting back into the interview here um, regarding the bases, I thought this was interesting. He liked the bases um, because he was actually himself not a good shmup player, and he preferred games like Pac-Man and Flicky where you had to collect things, and he equated the bases with like Pac-Man's dots. So you go through the stage collecting the bases, and um, he did... uh, confirmed that the ending was a direct parody of star wars he thought people would think it was funny <laughs> so um it comes out my, so my dark. question yeah well my question here is why do you think sega copied star wars so much in the 80s and 90s because let's look back sonic the hedgehog like the original sonic trilogy there is a lot a lot of star wars references there you got the death egg you've got like um fang who a lot of people were like oh he's like the boba fett he's like a bounty hunter um You've got, I guess that's it. But still, that's a pretty good amount. Like the Death Egg alone is the Death Star. Um, you think Sega was just like a bunch of Star Wars fans who wanted to make Star Wars games? I think so. I mean, I was trying to look up when the 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 series came out in Japan. Like, when did they show them in theaters over there? I don't know how what the cult, cultural impact was over I there. I think it was internationally. Um, released so eighty three would have been Return of the Jedi in so, Japan. I mean, I don't know if it was popular there. I, I don't really understand how you know cinema works in Japan, but like, mm-hmm. I will say that like it's on. It was on a lot of people's minds for like a very long time after it came out because there wasn't that many sci fi movies to capture right. the market the way they did. Like they tried with Blade Runner and a bunch of other movies in the eighties. But they never got the success that Star Wars did 
as massive, right. you know, as massive as it got. So I'm assuming it's just cultural, you know, like how do you connect with Americans? Well, they like Star Wars. Obviously, everyone knows that. So let's put some right. Star Wars yeah. stuff in. I do know that Star Wars did very well in Japan. Um, George Lucas actually was like a spokesman for, I forgot if it was like a TV comp- for Panasonic or something like that, but he did like TV ads as himself with characters from his movies. Um, they That's had uh, one of the Star Wars celebrations um, in Japan in the last 10, 15 years. So it's not, you know, it's not like the most popular franchise over there, but I'd say it's probably up there as one of the most popular Western franchises in Japan. Um, there's lots of toys, lots of merch. I don't know how well it's doing now over there, um, but it's it's doing far, far greater than, you know, like China, who I think never allowed them to film the or air the movies over there. So um, I, I, w- I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you one yeah. thing. Since you're a Star Wars fan, like, do you think like since right now we have the massive, like right now we're living in a in a generation that's going to be influenced by the, the Marvel movies, right? Mm-hmm. But like to me, I feel like there was something about Star Wars that they did with the original trilogy, at least giving you that like weird like cliff like. Empire did the whole, you know, I'm your father, obviously was parodied here. Right. It became a big, massive pop culture moment. And like, it's everywhere, right? Like, it's been joked right. about. It's been, no Marvel movie has a twist like that. I guess instead, I guess you could say the last Avengers movie, there was that whole like snapping your finger. You think we're going to have games where there's enemies that want to kill 50% of the population and they snap their fingers in the <laughs> end and they win, you know? I, mean, I see those where moments. you're going with this. Um, I would say maybe the moment that comes closest is Tony Stark dying. Yeah. Um, or, uh, Peter Parker disappearing. Yeah. But I also feel like the problem with modern entertainment is that everything becomes a meme. Everything becomes a joke. And I think Tony Stark dying, it, a lot of people did feel the emotion of it. Um, but I also feel like very quickly it became kind of like a meme yeah, and I don't think that happened with the the whole revelation of no, I am your father, and Luke's going no because people are like, oh my god, I can't believe he said that. No, he's lying. You know, like there was a lot of discussion, and I think a lot of I think later people would do the parodies of it, but at the time, I really I don't feel like it was it was funny, and I think yeah. that's what's that's what's interesting now. So if we do see you know like the Marvel movies influencing. Uh, kids of today in the future, I feel like it's going to be kind of a mix of finding the humor in it and making references to that rather than straight up. Um, just making you know, it a the, sad ending. Like in this game, right, it was just exactly. delivered. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, now, so, so far we've seen uh, Brazil. We've seen Pac-Man. We've seen Flicky. We've seen Star Wars. Like these are weird influences. The next weird influence is uh, actually something that I think he and Yu Suzuki would have in common. Uh, the <laughs> idea for the parts shop came from taking your car into an auto shop, and Ishii wanted players to have more control over their power-ups and not be tied to whatever they flew into, which I love. Because one of my biggest complaints about shoot 'em ups is, unless I have the manual or something, like I don't know what things are, so there's like a pulsing green blob coming towards me. I'm like, is that an enemy? And then it touches me. I'm like, oh, I've got a super laser. I didn't want oh, that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I really like, and here again is him taking something that is a common, common thing that you see in 
the um, in a shoot 'em up, and he just was like, "What if I didn't have that? Why don't I have a parts shop?" And I honestly, at this point in uh, taking notes, I became aware that like Fancy Zone is really like the shoot 'em up made by a guy who doesn't really like shoot 'em ups or doesn't yeah. care about shoot 'em ups. Yeah. Like he's going in here and he's not being very precious with things that are common. He's not like going, well, you have to have this. He's like, nah, I have a better idea. And, you know, cars were one of his hobbies. And so he also was like, well, I have money. I buy upgrades. It just makes sense to him. And like I said, if you read this interview, like he answers many more questions talking about buying things and the whole monetary system and, and prices going up on things. So it is, it is something that he really spent a lot of time on and it's, I mean, as cheap as some of the things are, like, I don't, as I play, I don't like that the price goes up on things. I understand that there's a reason for that. And I think a lot of thought went into balancing the weapons and the prices and the money drop. Uh, From my memory, there was something he was talking about where he's like, I made the prices of some things really high because then people go, oh, I can collect that much money. I should collect more money. So it forces people to actually play more and collect more money because they're like, well, it can't be that much. It must be easy to get that much money. Um, now, you know, like I said, Yu Suzuki, um, like Yu Suzuki, I feel like a lot of Ishii's influences were things outside of video games. In his case, it's more like entertainment, um, car customization with Yu Suzuki. I feel like it's more like it's, it's, feeling it's uh, uh human interaction simulations yeah um driving uh so game design decisions were not so much based on what a genre did but what made sense and what was a more interesting direction to take things and it's not really a question i'm posing but i just think it's an interesting interesting thing to think about i think some of the strongest developers at sega at this time who have since gone on to do great things had this sensibility I yeah. don't think a lot of the people who are just churning out, like, nothing against Alex Kidd or anything, but I feel like a lot of the people in that studio, which is what, uh, and, uh, C, Consumer and CRI 1 or something like that, um, they just kind of churn stuff out. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. They were meeting quota, they were making games Sega wanted them to make, but I feel like the reason why we have so much to say about games like Fantasy Zone is that there was a lot of really interesting and smart decisions being made behind the scenes by very impressive people. Um, can, yeah. you, can you imagine if they just copied every other shoot 'em up and it was just like, you go all the way to the top of the stage and then when you get to the top of the stage, there's a boss and then you kill the boss and then you move on to the next stage. It's kind of like... Kind of yeah. like Ikagura using the idea of like, you know, flipping the color to, you know, the, if you have the same color of bullets, it touches, you know, little things like that can right. really make a shoot 'em up totally different. Oh, absolutely. And I don't mean to disparage like the other ones. There's some that I really love. I can't name yeah. them, but I love them. <laughs> yeah, um, <we're> names. <laughs> but uh, so let's see. Oh, I love this part. So let's get into this. Ishii reveals some funny reasons for why the shop items are what they are. So at the time, Hudson, and I've seen these things, they had a 16 shots in one second challenge. Um, Have you seen like these little uh, Hudson B themed LCD toys? That's just a button and an LCD like uh, 
screen. Have you seen this? I have not. What is it called? The Hudson? So I don't know what it's called, but Chris Tang has one. And basically you push the button as fast as you can and it, it counts how many pushes you're doing. And I think it does it like in a minute or in 30 seconds, but that's the game. Like it's a little handheld like carry around. I think so. And it's just a button. And the whole game is how many times can you push the button? As fast see, as you can. I have it up in this window a little bit. It's like it look kind of looks like an NES. Uh, the person that's showing it is uh, there's one that looks like kind of reddish in the back, but yeah, you basically just press the button. It just shows you right here. It's yeah, it's wow. called like a Hudson. There's a Hudson shot. shooting watch. Yeah, it looks like a little NES pad. So yeah. yeah, it it times your shooting. It looks cool, but I could see as a game developer how you're like. Um, how Ishii was just like, this is what we're getting to. Like, <laughs> how so many times can you push a button? It's so and right. yeah, and and I think and this here right here shows how there were game designers and developers and studios and companies who were all about the tech, the hardware, the button. You have the button. How many times can you push the button? Whereas I feel like people like Ishii and Yu Suzuki were more about the gamer's experience, and I don't think they ever were thinking. Let's see how many times they can push a button. Like, it's that also, doesn't make sense. It's also the the like how they try to sell this. I remember this in the early nineties, people talking about like this, but like how hardcore yeah. are you? Like these shoot 'em ups are hard, right? To master mm-hmm. them, you you need to have one of these little devices. You go home and you know get your dexterity up on your finger. You know, got got to get a strong right. finger. How you need to get laid in and the I, arcades when got, when girls don't see your strong man fingers that you've been buffing up in your free time i don't know right exactly and i've got to i've got to say too like the the going out and buying a special controller with a turbo (laughs) mode like that's fun and all but that's stupid like when you think about it put that shit in the game don't force consumers to go out and buy a special controller that pushes the button super fast on its own so you won't get arthritis right it just it just feels like it, it it this whole this whole notion just feels like it flies in the face of um what these game designers at the time at Sega were really doing, where they were presenting these fun experiences, but never once where they were like, let's make sure we really test how many times people can push a button. And if they're unable to do that, they can go buy a special piece of hardware that will do that for them. Like how, I don't like that. Uh, (laughs) um, So Ishii says that uh, he had slow fingers (laughs) and uh, see, he's a funny guy. And um, so many weapons in his game actually do not rely on button mashing. He wanted to tell the players, and this was his quote, there's more to games than quickly tapping buttons. (laughs) That's true. So it's true. I mean... But that kind of goes against all this whole like shoot 'em up like mentality, which I like because he's like, I don't care. Uh, Yeah, You think that makes you hardcore? I disagree. Like, right. if you think and about it, like, even the graphics are, like, mocking heart, like, these shoot 'em up games and, like, being dark and cutesy and all this. Right, yeah, and having played this game in arcades, the first thing I did was I was, you know, tapping the fire button, and I realized I can hold it down and get just about the same effect. Like, yep. it's not, it's not that big a change. I mean, I think it does help a little bit, but not to the point where you need to do it, Um now, I want to get into the 16 tons. This is goofy. So the 16 tons item was actually a direct reference to the song 16 Tons by Tennessee Ernie Ford. And if you've never heard that, it goes like, you get 16 tons and what do you get? 
another day older and closer to death or something like that. Um, There's also a running gag on Monty Python where a 16-ton weight would fall on people. And I I put a clip there. Do we have that clip? Yeah, I have it up. Tell me when you want me. It's only five seconds, so I'll just play it. Just play it. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's it. Just that little gag. (laughs) It's funny because... Yeah. I was going to say, it's, uh, it just falls on him. I didn't know, six, I always wonder what 16 tons meant. And like when we got to uh, 16,000 subscribers on our Twitter, it was kind of hard to find a really high resolution 16 ton icon or whatever for uh, Fantasy Zone to celebrate. I mean, that's thousands right. ago, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a funny thing because like, like I said, the song, there's a song called 16 Tons. And then I feel like Monty Python took that literally and put a 16-ton weight. So it's like, it's funny that the weight's falling on people, but then it's also funny that it's referencing this goofy song. How, um, I mean... And then it's... Can and you then buy it's even a, weirder... I was like, is that an actual thing? Can you buy 16-ton weight? Like, is that an no. actual... That's what I'm saying. Like, and why would you need 16 tons in, like, like in that shape? Like, it's very particular shape. Is that how, back in the day, you guys used to lift weights? With like those no, it's shapes. just, I mean, a, t- a ton in and of itself is massive. Um, now the little, well, yeah. weight, the shape of the weight, that is, that is a type of weight, though I think those ones aren't for like li- weightlifting like this. I think Obviously. it's for machines, like a uh, pulley. I think uh, if you set up a pulley, um, and it might also be for like holding things down, maybe. <laughs> I'm not, I didn't take uh, notes on weights. Yeah, I know. Sorry, I just like it's no, a big, it's, okay. it's a big it's a big paperweight. Let's just say that. Um, uh, uh, Ishi, let, let's talk more about this man. Uh, he says that first. So this is how they made the game. They would design a stage, then they would create a boss to match it. Now, I would argue they didn't do a great job at matching the boss with the stage. Sometimes, like some of them just look bizarre. Yeah. Um. But then what's really cool is then they would develop shop items that would work well with certain bosses. So with that in mind, you would have players picking up items and they go, oh my god, this item is perfect for this boss. They must have planned that. And you have to wonder, well, what came first? Well, clearly, he says here they created a boss and then they made a weapon to go with it. They just wouldn't tell you which one was which. Um, Mm. The music for the game was from Hiroshi Kawaguchi. And his direction for what to do um, was to really do what he likes, but give it a samba feel. And um, Kawaguchi also worked on the music for Outrun at this time. And uh, do you feel like any of Fantasy Zone's music influenced Outrun or vice versa? Because I'm thinking of a track from Outrun that's very Fantasy Zone. Can you guess uh, you which one? thinking samba? I mean, you thinking uh, magical sound shower? Yeah. Okay, because like, did you see the 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 album I posted on uh, on our Discord where he basically copied that al that song from an actual Japanese artist from like 1983? Like, it sounds exactly the same. I mean, oh, that's and, interesting. I, and even the 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 album cover is like a uh, it's like a summer album. It's like literally called Summer Breeze or something. I forgot what it's called. And there's like a like hmm. a car in the beach. I never even heard of this album, and I was listening to it lately, and. Uh, I, w- I just can't get it out of my head. It's like, 
it's just it's just I'm okay with artists like getting other artists they're influenced by and like making music based on that. Uh, mm-hmm. But you could tell that he did this a lot uh, back then, where he would get Japanese artists that were like. I'm not versed in Japanese music, especially from the early '80s. So it's mm-hmm. cool that people on twit on Twitter are showing me new things like this, and uh, I'm actually getting really into '80s Japanese music. They had a lot of bangers back then that uh, went under <laughs> the radar, but uh, nice. yeah, that's the one that I would say reminds me of uh, the bleed through is that one for sure because it has that samba feel. Absolutely, yeah, and I'd, I'd say the music too is the one real remaining thing outside of Opa Opa's name from the whole Brazilian connection. I think if the music was different, I wouldn't have seen the connection at all. Um, now, Fantasy Zone, it was developed in a very short six-month time. Uh, as for the mentions of Fantasy Zone and Space Harrier, Ishii says there was no direct connection, but he did see them making the game at the time. I really have to wonder, you know, like, what was going on there? Like, welcome to the Fantasy Zone. Get ready. Like, you're making a game called Fantasy Zone. They're making a game <laughs> called Space Harrier that says Fantasy Zone, and you say there's no direct connection. Why did they say Welcome to the Fan? I guess that's a question for you, Suzuki. Why yeah. did you say Welcome to the Fantasy Zone? And uh, why is it so bu- both of them so bizarre? Like, if you look at AM2's output during the time, not only are they sharing an artist right here, a musical artist, but like also their their repertoire of AM2, like. Uh, Space Harrier stands out like a sore thumb, right? Because it's like, oh, this one you're a jet fighter. This one you're a motorcycle. You're driving a motorcycle. This one you're you're driving a car. And all of a sudden now you're in space uh, shooting mushrooms and killing dragons. Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, AM1 and AM2, within a year apart from each other, were both working on games with really wacky, crazy enemies, a little crossover there with the Fantasy Zone reference, and yet... He says, the creator of Fantasy Zone says there's no direct connection and he did not see one while making the game. So I don't, he did say they wanted to call it Opa Opa and circumstances led them to have to call it Fantasy Zone. So I guess the real question is, why did he call the game Fantasy Zone? And if so, why did Yu Suzuki say Fantasy Zone? Like, where did that come from? So we don't know. I'd, it'd be interesting to like uh, interview uh, Yuzuzuki and talk more about the development of Space Area because like I feel like every single time he gets a new interview, it's always like let's talk about Shenmue and it's like oh dude, yeah, I, no. I, I get it. I, that game's been reviewed like talked about to death. I, I, there's like yeah. there's question even questions I have about that game that, that people don't bring up. But like if I talk to him, I would love to talk about his early arcades and like. I, I would really love to see what he had planned for Outrun because I, if you see our episode on that one, which is way back, I think it's the first episode we did of this podcast, mm. uh, yeah. we we mentioned that he cut a lot of content out that he wanted to have in it. So, yeah, that's what I would do. But as for the Fantasy Zone, maybe it was just a name that wasn't copyrighted and Sega really wanted it. There's a lot of names that they took that's really, really like, wow, you got that name? How? Like Yakuza? Uh, Shinobi, yeah, some games like that where they're like, we have to jump on this name because somebody else will take it. You know, I have to wonder if Space Harrier was originally going to be called Fantasy Zone and Sega had the copyright to it and they That's wanted true. to use it. Yu That's Suzuki true. told them, I want to go with Space Harrier. He was too big a rock star for them to say no to. And then when they made the shoot him up, 
they said, call it Fantasy Zone. And he was like, I want to call it Opa Opa. And they're like, we have the copyright already and we need to use it. And we that's spent true. the money. I'll and bet it, that's what happened. And it, that name, Fantasy Zone, could have worked for both of them anyway because they're both basically uh, these like psychedelic trips on sh- like shooting games, you know. And uh, Space Harrier kind of works for the other one because you're playing as a spaceman, I guess. And this one, it's like, is this in space? You're really on planets, but I don't know. It's very vague. You do fly. Huh. I yeah. mean, both of them could be called either one. If we, if we called this one Space Harrier, it would have made sense too. Why not? So I think we just cracked the case. They're Good the job. same game. They're the same game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, as for Easter eggs, Ishii recalls, this is really weird. So... The Minons from Planet Minon, the game's enemy force, is a combination of Mebius and Xenon. And I believe these are like references to TV shows at the time or like mm. some pop culture thing that we don't know. So Mebius and Xenon. And he said the unused letters from Mebius and Xenon spell out Xevious. And Xevious ah. was a 1983 vertical shooter from Namco. The one so, that I talked about that was kind of like, that was a lot like Twin Bees, but yeah, so yeah, was, isn't that goofy? Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, it's like they're mocking Nam, they're mocking Namco and Sega used to be. I mean, they have a history of being enemies with each other in the arcade scene, so it is funny that they basically did this. But yeah, do you think he had too much time on his hands? <laughs> of course, <laughs> dude. Yeah, I mean, you've been. I mean, you. I mean, you work in the big office. Everybody has too much time in their hands. I mean, sometimes, and then randomly, you don't have a lot of time in your hands. But yeah, I would assume so. Even though with a short six month development cycle, I mean, do you think he was programming everything himself, or how big was the team? Did you even look at that, or, or am I asking questions um... are too deep? I don't know how the big the team was, but I'd imagine it wasn't huge. Maybe he's ten, a, he's a ten clever people guy. or less. Yeah. Um, now, as far as uh, some funny parts from the interview, um, he admitted that the rocket engine was a joke item. It was never meant to be taken seriously um, because it was so impossibly fast. And of after course. the game was shipped out and Sega found out about this, they were, he said they were furious at the inclusion of the joke item. And he said there were a lot of various, oh, there were a lot of very serious people at Sega then. So <laughs> they all left. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. And um, Ishii also commented on the porting teams behind the many versions of Fantasy Zone. He said he saw a lot of determination in the teams to make something that surpassed the original. And he actually thought it was cool that Sunsoft thought that they made the better game with Super Fantasy Zone. So he he actually liked that they were trying to outdo him um, because yeah. I think he felt that it made for a better game. Um, after Fantasy Zone, Ishii became more of a producer at Sega. Uh, and so Fantasy Zone was his final directing job for the company. Wow. He left Sega um, and he formed Artoon. Isn't that interesting? And uh, recently... With the same one, remember with, yeah, yeah, I remember Artoon, the one that made blinks for the Xbox. The, yeah, the, yep, the, that's right. The mascot, exactly. And then he founded R Arzest, and he's actually the CEO of Arzest right now, who wow. became involved in the Mario and Sonic Mobile and 3DS games, Street Pass Me Plaza, and the Yoshi 3DS game games. And their most recent project is Balan Wonderland. So how about that? The 
director and designer of Flicky and Fantasy Zone went on to create the studio that will now develop the newest Yuji Naka game. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because Artune has also had the the co-creator of Sonic, right? Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy that drew him? Yeah, uh, yeah. isn't it Yasuhara? Oh, something like that, oh, yeah. Oh, 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 uh, Naoto Oshima. Yeah, Oshima. Naoto Oshima. Yeah, so... You, I was thinking of Yuji. They've, so they've, they've worked together longer. I mean, I would love to see them do a little mini game where they do another cute up their own style with Sonic Team or something. That'd be sweet. But, like, right now they're doing... A one. Uh, what's it called? Balin Wonderland. And uh, it looks like Knights. Like, yeah. legit, like Knights. So it's going to be interesting. It looks like Knights, but the gameplay looks like Billy Hatcher to me. Okay, I haven't seen much so, of the gameplay, but the feel yeah, no, of it was very, uh, like... Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, I don't know if we'll do a Sega talk on it, but I I kind of want to discuss it more on the site once we actually maybe have it in hand. I think it would be worth it. Just it, It's got so much Sega DNA there. I mean, the fact that, you know, the Fantasy Zone dude is just like, oh yeah, I'm going to start a company and have Yuji Naka and Naoto Oshima, you know, like, it's crazy. They probably um, really enjoyed each other's company to be hanging out and working together all the time. That's true. Uh, so let's get back into the show notes, though. I just wanted to be sure. Yes, it is Naoto Oshima um, and Yuji Naka. I didn't mm-hmm. want to say the wrong names. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a great interview. You can check it out for yourself at schmupulations.com slash fantasy zone. It's... Um, we covered a lot of it here, but there is a lot more that they go into. And it's just, he seems like a really cool guy. And it's, it's, I feel bad that it's 2020 and I'm just finally like learning to really like the director of Fantasy Zone. But hey, you yeah. know, you learn something new every day, I guess. Um, ports. Oh boy. Ports, ports, ports. Are you ready for ports? Always ready. And I even have images. You didn't put them in the notes, but I went ahead and. I did. Gotta- I know. We gotta well, have some visual I, representation, but if you're watching the video, you could see the pictures. When I was when I was researching and writing about the ports, I felt like the like Bilbo in the end of the Lord of the Rings, you know, with the the book, and he's like, There's "So and many that ports, is my adventure!" <laughs> like it's so long. Yes. Oh, yes. so you should get into it because we're gonna be. I yeah. I mean, it's cool. It's awesome, guys. Here we go. So Fantasy Zone had a ton of ports, and as mentioned by Ishii, there are several different teams behind the ports that brought their own strengths to the table, such as the addition of Dragonland to the X68000 version. The most popular version in the West is likely the Master System version, or the, uh, uh, what, what is it called? The Mark III. Um, yeah which was developed by Sega R&D2. And if you want to learn more about them, you can check out our Alex Kid in Miracle World episode. Um, well, it is a faithful port. Uh, this version only had 32 colors and lacked parallax scrolling and the in-game radar. And Yeah, that makes a big deal. It's a big deal not <sighs> having that. Mm-mm. Um, also, two, po- two bosses were completely redesigned and enemy bases were down from 10 to 6. Uh, the Famicom version by Sunsoft is comparable to the SMS version, though only featuring 16 colors but maintaining the radar. And then we have also Tengen's NES version, which is often <laughs> cited as the worst. Yeah, um, the and we shared great. <laughs> we shared the cover art on Twitter. It's like 
It's like a bootleg Opa Opa. He looks like Opa Opa if he was an RV. And COVID, COVID's floating below him. Just looking all all upset in the in the, in the top right hand corner. My thing is like this reminds me of that reboot of Bomberman. Remember that Bomberman Zero, where they try yeah. to where like some executive at these companies are like people like grim games, not cute games. Redesign, and this is the redesign in the by this company where they're like nobody likes pink, nobody likes cute. I mean, it's still pink, but like. Opa Opa right. is a spaceship and looks like, I don't know, something out of like a Marvel comics from the early 90s drawing by so some weird, weird. image I artist. S- but yeah. I still think it looks like an RV. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next up here, we have um, the, uh, oh, and I, it, it has poor controls and flickering graphics. So that's fun. Uh, conversely, the TurboGrafx-16 version, which is available on the new TG-16 Mini if you've mm-hmm. picked that up or played it, it's I'm cool. I'm surprised um, that it made it in. It's, you know. Yeah, it's very close to the arcade version, only lacking the parallax scrolling, and it has downgraded music. But I've played it. It's, I mean, it's pretty cool. It's good. And um, I like, I like how uh, Turbo Graphics did their like covers where they kind of look like it's like squared off, and then it was, and it just looks like a screenshot really. But if you look closely, it's actually artwork. And there's a little guy driving Opa Opa on the cover, which is not oh, true. That's too and, funny. And, and not lore because Opa Opa drives himself. He doesn't need a man. Sorry, just want to let you guys know that <laughs> uh, he doesn't need a man. Um, there's also the MSX Home Computer and Sharp MZ, which saw versions in Japan with very very crude graphics, uh, not Oof. not very pretty. Um, the X sixty eight thousand version, which I'd love to play, is by Dempa, and it is seen as almost arcade perfect. And it also has the aforementioned inclusion of Dragonland, which looks awesome. And again, because Dempa is not owned by Sega, it also is kind of like a fan game in terms of the fact that they made the connection to Space Harrier, even though the creator of Fantasy Zones did not see that connection. So I mean, this game has Sega's logo on it, so I'm assuming Sega right. made some cash Approved off it. of it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I don't mean to say it, it is a fan game, but it's almost like, what am I thinking of? Like um, Sonic Mania, how they're, the fans making it would make connections that they dream, dreamt up as fans. You know what I mean? I got you. But got it's you. official. So it's almost like the third party is making it official. It's interesting. Um, in 2003, Fantasy Zone joined the Sega Ages 2500 line of remakes as Volume 3 in the collection. It was developed by Sims, and the game features cel-shaded 3D graphics and two play modes, Arcade and Original. So Arcade is pretty much what you'd expect, flat 2D, but with 3D sprites. Um, but Original sees dramatic camera movements after bosses are defeated with brand new behind-the-back bonus mode. Um, Westerners can actually find this version in the Sega Classics Collection for the PS2. Do you have that one? I, I have the Sega Classics Collection that I bought not that long ago because I never mm-hmm. knew that this... I like I, It just came uh, uh, under my radar. Like, I've never... Oh, yeah. Like, look at the cover, first of all. The cover of this game is like the worst cover I've ever seen. So you go to the store and you see the Sega Classics Collection... And it's literally the one one of the most worst designed packages. It's not appetizing. It looks like they try to remake these in cheap 3D. So I always skipped it. I bought it recently. I haven't put out my PS2 to play it yet. 
maybe right. I'll do, maybe I'll do something where I record some stuff, but I haven't played it enough to, to say anything. I've seen gameplay videos of it, but that's about yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's very strange because you know we've had so many collections of Genesis games, things like that. I mean, the mere fact that Sega Classics Collection in and of itself is a term that's been used for other things, mm-hmm. I can see why so many people overlook this, because it just looks like a collection of ROMs. What it does not say is that it's actually like the first 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 2,500 releases bundled. Into one you know, game. They <laughs> into one called, game. They could have called it like Sega Remaster Collection or something now, but like, right. but now it's just kind of like, oh, it's just more ROMs again. Sega releases these things all the time, and it, if yeah. you look at it just from like going to GameStop, it wouldn't really show up that this, these were good. We didn't even know anything about them at the time. Sega Ages wasn't a brand. I think the Sega Ages looks where they give them their own artwork look a lot cooler. But yeah, oh, absolutely, and I, that's one thing. Like, if if you ask me, like, what would you like a complete like? Sega collection of. I'd say I want the complete PS2 2500 line, all 33 of them. I think that would be awesome. Um, Well, no, like just like on a shelf. I'd like to own them all. Oh, yeah. But the the last thing I want to pay them off. Pay for them, all of them. Yeah. I I got you. Yeah. I want them given to to me me. for free. Yeah. Send them to our house. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, 2007 also saw another Sega Ages. 2500 release this time as fantasy fantasy zone complete collection which was from m2 who took over the line and transformed it into more of a remake collection from a remake collection to a remaster collection so this version included the arcade and super sega master system versions um, and are seen as arcade perfect also included was a secret port of the famicom version which was like cleaned up and made better so it's like M2 flexing their muscles as they usually do, going, oh, we made, remade the game and it's perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah, finally. Right, exactly. And this release actually ended the Sega Ages 2500 collection, but it was just the beginning for M2 and Fantasy Zone because in 2013, M2 kicked off the Sega 3D Classics collection. This line featured arcade, Master System, Mega Drive, and even SG-1000 games. And in terms of Fantasy Zone titles included 3D Fantasy Zone Opa Opa Brothers, which was an arcade port featuring new modes, 3D Fantasy Zone, which was the Master System version, 3D Fantasy Zone 2W, which was a arcade version that was brand remade. new, remade, like almost For like the Master made System version. <laughs> of the yeah. ma- exactly, of the yeah. Master System game, um, which was also part of the collection. So... I feel like Fantasy Zone 2 in and of itself, or at least the spinoffs, are worthy of a Sega talk in the future. So I'm not going to cover the Fantasy Zone 2W. I think we could talk about M2 and their Fantasy Zone work like for an hour and a half. Easy. They yeah. did so much. A lot. Um, so, but as far as Fantasy Zone, it did have this odd title of Opa Opa Bros. And, yeah. Um, this actually references a new mode in the 3DS version for the game, which was called Uppa Uppa Mode. I love it. So uh, upon clearing the main game, a new mode starring Opa Opa's brother Uppa Uppa from Fantasy Zone The Maze and Galactic Protector, which was a paddle game for the Master System in Japan. Um, in this mode, no shot balloons appear, and instead the player chooses their engine at the start of the game and then has access to all the weapons from the touchscreen below. The twist is that firing weapons uses gold, so players must constantly be collecting coins 
to use their premium weapons. Round One Music also features a new track titled Up Uppa. So, I love it too. Uh, What is your favorite version of Fantasy Zone? Which ones of these have you played? And which do you think is the most unique? And which do you think is the worst? Okay, so uh, obviously Tengen's NES one, terrible. So let's get that out of the way. That's the worst one. Yeah. The best version I think that I played, I mean, I guess we could go with the Switch version because it does 720p or 1080p. But right, I did not mention that, yeah, but that's there too. Yeah. So if you're going to play today and if you have a 3DS, get the 3DS version. It's great. The 3D looks good. Um, if you don't care about 3D, um, definitely get the HD version on Switch. Sega Ages needs your support since Sega's ending the line. It's on sale often. I think it's uh, definitely worth picking up. I do love the Upa Upa mode. I think it kind of adds a lot. I, I love that they do this thing where they don't remake the game or make a sequel, but they change the rules of the game already and they add something new to it. I don't know. I really love it. I really think oh, they absolutely. did a great job with Fantasy Zone and they did an even better job with the sequel. Especially with the whole remake of uh, it on the board, so yeah, mm-hmm. they did a great job. M two is pretty fantastic at that. It kind of reminds me of the Whitehead, where they changed rules and made. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. That that was awesome. And like honestly, I'd see M two as the successors to um, you know the original Fantasy Zone developers. Like they really do a fantastic job, not only with their ports but with. The new rules, like it's not a sequel, but it might as well be, you know, it's like they are, I I hear people going, oh, they should bring back Fantasy Zone. And I'm like, have you played the M2 games? Because they're, they're new, you know, they're they're new games. A lot Um, of the new content is like, this could be its own release, literally. Like back in the olden days, they could have made an Opa 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 game and released it. And they would have made tons of money. They should have called it though, Oba Oba, because in Brazil, Oba means something different from Opa. So, Opa. Um, I would agree. I would say, I haven't played the Switch one, but it looks great. I would say that's probably the the best one to go for. Outside of that, the 3DS releases are great. Um, Yeah, basically anything M2 has worked on with Fantasy Zone is probably your best bet. Even the... um, uh, Collection, the PS2 collection complete. Yeah, the PS2 collection, but you'd have to import that. I'm trying to think what else is there. Oh, there is a version also on um, the... uh, Well, actually, no, we'll get into it here. So, um, yeah, the the SMS version of 3D Fantasy Zone, I forgot to mention, it's an unlockable in the retail release of the game for the 3D Classics collection. However... The original 3D Fantasy Zone Opa Opa Bros is not included. Instead, 3D Fantasy Zone 2 is included as well as the SMS original. However, you can play the arcade version in Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection for the PS2 and Xbox 360 if you collect a certain amount of points in Flicky. So it's almost like a little like nod. Little nod, like, oh, there's a connection here. And I, I did not make that connection until I did these notes. And I was like, oh, I got it. You guys are sneaky. You, you cheeky bastards. Um, <laughs> so that that really does it for the ports. It's just, it's insane the amount of times this game's not only been re-released and remade, but the fact that so much of that was done in, like, the first few years of the game existing. It's not like over the years we were getting new fantasy zones. It was more like 1986, 1987. They're like, release it, release it to everything. 
Um, it got popular in arcades, you know. It was a, it was a pretty. I guess it hit if there was a. I mean, I'll tell you about it when we get to the cameos. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and speaking of arcades, can we bring up some promotions for the game? So we've got the, uh, the. This poster. is the arcade flyer, the poster. Yeah, it's very cool. Very minimalistic um, art. That's kind of like I think. I don't know. What do you think? Like you're a graphic designer. This is pretty much like minimalism, right? Like. I don't know. This is this trendy in the '80s. This kind of like art. Yeah, this kind of art is trendy. I think it looks cool. Um, I mean, I don't exactly know how these things functioned. I don't know if these were given to operators in order to sell them on the game. I'm assuming so. Or promote um, promote it promote the promote game. it. Yeah, yeah, but I I do know that. I mean, look, it's folded, so I'm assuming this is like a poster. Mm-hmm. Um, I want this. No, it's pretty slick. Well, I do know that that special edition of the Astro City Mini comes with reproduction of 10 flyers or something. So I wonder if Fantasy Zone's in that. I have to pre-order that. I mean, I, I'm still, I mean, I pre-ordered it on Amazon, yeah. but I don't, yeah. I, I don't know if I want the deluxe one. Like, it's $300, dude, but like. Yeah, so but I, it's $300. That's true. I, you're right. Sega needs it. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> help them me. out. I was gonna say exactly uh, one thing that I do notice about this art on the flyer is not as bright as the game is. You know, like the it's more pastel colors. This one is more muted colors. I don't know if it's just the age of the poster, but it yeah, looks more. Really... Sorry, go ahead. It does look a little. No, it does look a little more faded. A little more. Um, uh... Like Easter. Get, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the um, second one, I guess. The This one's more writing, which we can't understand, but it has a screenshot. Screenshots. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 So I it mean, actually it shows you good. the game. And uh, we do have a commercial. Uh, I was going to say, you, you, we do have a commercial. It, and, you know, it's kind of sad that we didn't have a Sega console commercial. But this commercial is for the Famicom, right? Mm-hmm. And anything that we should know before I, I – it's subtitled, but anything we should know before I press play? Uh, just a trigger warning. There is a little boy doing a Hitler salute. Um, oh, in no. The first. Canceled. Yeah. Canceled. Yeah, so let's, let's do it. Let's play okay, it. Okay, one, two, three. See? <laughs> oh, no. Look at him flying around. <laughs> up, uh, up, uh. It's funny that they uh, kind of like aim this as ki- to kids, not adults. Uh, I don't right. know. Is that you think that was the the primary demographic for this game, like ch- children? Because it seems a little hard for kids, but it seems I way mean, hard for kids. Yeah, I, I didn't grow up and in this... Japan. I'm, I'm sure it's a hard life. I, this kid in the Sunsoft shirt going, Oppa, Oppa! You, you love great. him? I love soft. him. He's my child now. He's my boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> With the Hitler salute, too. God. Yeah, I, right? I mean, oh, I, I Oppa, Oppa! I think he's, I, like, raising his hand, like, I want to be Oppa, Oppa, but he's putting it out. So, would you, uh, sorry. Would you, wear that, would you wear that shirt right there that the kid's wearing where he's trying to fly? The Sunsoft shirt? No. No? I would okay. not wear a Sunsoft shirt. Exactly. I love Sunsoft. I think they're a great company. But I'm just kidding. I would, I, I would wear a Hudson shirt before a Sunsoft shirt, though. I would wear a Data East shirt. Ooh. I would wear one. That's all I'm saying. 
Um, <laughs> what shirt would you wear? Uh, uh, I would wear a shirt. Soft, but not, I would wear a shirt. I have to wear shirts legally. I have to wear shirts that go anywhere. So you definitely do. a Sunsoft shirt. But like the old logo, not the striped one. That looks like a like a, like a a soccer jersey or something, you know? The, mm. the kid. Looks like he's wearing like a, like a soccer jersey. Not really a uh, Sunsoft shirt that I would want to wear. Like a t-shirt or something. More comfortable. But yeah, you should hit eBay, hit eBay and find I'm, some Sunsoft shirts. I'm going to do it after we finish the, this podcast. So <laughs> the next episode, I'm going to have a Sunsoft shirt. That's it. Oh, I love it. Let's do that. Uh, so let's dive into the cameos. Like the uh, ports, there are a ton of cameos. Um, so the same year Fantasy Zone released, Opa Opa actually made his first cameo in Alex Kidd, The Lost Stars. The game consists of six stages, which are repeated once, and at the end of each stage... There features a Miracle Ball for Alex Kidd to collect. And uh, what connection do Miracle Balls have with the lost stars of the title? Well, each ball is represented by a zodiac sign, and the first of these signs is Aries. Upon completion of the first stage and collecting the Aries Miracle Ball, the player is treated to a graphic of the collected zodiac sign and Opa Opa in the center of the map. So I guess Opa Opa's an Aries. That's interesting. Um Ooh. Yeah, this this one's really cool. So there is a secret fantasy zone game in Arnold Palmer's <laughs> tournament golf. Yes, <laughs> and I love it. and Opa Opa cameos in the game's menus. So if you thought like old real world Air Force pilots having a connection to Sonic the Hedgehog was weird, imagine Arnold Palmer, the the professional golfer, having a connection to Opa Opa. The tea guy, the guy that makes ice, Arizona tea, that guy. Is this the same guy? Yeah, and, Ar- and Arnold Palmer, that was his like signature drink, and so they made it a... I mean, I think it's called a tea cooler in uh, some parts of the, of the United States. But That's yeah, I, I think good. a lot of younger people would say that, oh, him, the guy that makes the Arizona teas, he also likes Opa Opa? <laughs> Sick. Yeah. They, they should do a Opa Opa drink, too, like an, ice, like an iced tea with him, like a crossover. That would be awesome. I'd drink that. Yeah, I'd drink, I'll drink all that sugar for sure. Um, Opa Opa. Opa 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 and his brother Upa 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 uh, appeared in the anime Zillion, which itself saw two Sega Master System games and featured the games, the system's light gun in the anime. Yeah. Uh, the complete series is now on Blu-ray and is a must own if you are a fan of the Sega Master System era. They are brand new scans. Nice crystal clear. It's got the OVA included as well. So you get all, I've watched a few of them. I really need to get back into it because it seems like a, like a good like twenty something episode show where you get like some good lore and then it's over, you know. Isn't it? Isn't it kind of weird though? Like I, I, I don't like. I, I hesitate buying like old anime DVDs on Blu-ray until I do research because they do this like remastering thing where like I, they do this a lot with Funimation with Dragon Ball where they look all like I don't know like they have those like weird emulation filters where they try to like soften everything but it takes away detail and you're like oh no that looks weird. And he's, I, I don't remember it looking like that. Right. Yeah. No, but, I, I think I think they do a good job. I think this is discotech. I might be wrong. Um, but yeah, Funimation for a time we're releasing like perfectly scanned four by three Dragon Ball Z Blu-rays. And I was like, oh, I got to get these. And then they canceled them. And then they started making <laughs> a, a cropped 16 by nine, super oh, scrubbed. Oh, I hate that. And it's that. just like, what are you oh. doing? Like... 
I can't I can't stand that. I that's my pet peeve. It's like I can't watch something that it's not like in the aspect ratio you're supposed to be enjoying it in because it looks stupid and it's just dumb in my opinion. But yeah, it is Zillion's crazy yeah. though to me because like it had an anime. Like how many franchises got an anime from a, like a company like Sega? So that's kind of right. an interesting time. Yeah, it had an anime two games oddly enough none of neither one of the games uses the light gun. I thought that was kind of a missed opportunity to make a zillion light gun game, but whatever. That would have been cool, though. You can, like, shoot Opa Opa or something. Um, as far as uh, other cameos, we've got Opa Opa appearing as a capsule toy in Shenmue. There's a couple of them, and like I said, that was my kind of first real introduction to the character. I knew of mm. him, but I was like, oh, this is his thing. He's got feet. That's cool. It's, um, it's, uh, it's cool. Uh, Judgment has uh, this, like toy capsule stuff but very missed opportunity no sega related ones what oh, i don't sucks. understand it's so stupid it's like fishes and like red snappers just like three uh shimmy mm-hmm. three and i'm like bro you you have a fantasy zone arcade machine in the game you should have just put like you know little machine little sega machine things and you could in judgment you could actually decorate your apartment with your little toys you you collect like in the shops oh and God. stuff so it would have been a cool opportunity to have a little fantasy zone. I, I haven't looked enough on the toys that you collect in it to see if there mm-hmm. is an Opa Opa, but it should have had an Opa Opa. So far, no Opa and Opa. Is it playable too in the game? What, uh, fantasy zone is playable in Judgment, yeah. Okay, I knew that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I forgot about that one, yeah. Yeah. Um, this This one's really cool. Opa Opa appears in 2001's Planet Harriers. So while initially Opa Opa acts as the shopkeeper of the game's item store, which is a nice little nod to the parts shop, if you input mm. right, left, or right, down, left, up, left, down, left, up, right, left, up, and press the Vulcan button on the character Glenn. So imagine this, you're in the arcade and you're like, tuk, 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 tuk. oh, I fucked it up. Um, <laughs> of course, you- another quarter. <laughs> you unlock a fully playable 3D Opa Opa, and while Planet Harriers itself is an incredibly fun game, I personally have only played it once, and I'm kicking myself for not playing it as much tried, as I could at that time. Have you tried an emulate? Like, is there an emulated or an emulator that plays this? Have you ever tried it? Because like, I recently tried playing Revenge of Death Adder, and it is glitchy so far. I mean, I'm sure somebody out there would be like, if you update to point. Three two point four two of the yeah. emulator, and you put these two plugins in. Um, too much. I'm gonna wait for the. No, uh, I can. The Astro Arcade Mini to come out and actually play it. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I I have not tried emulating it. I should try though, because I it it's a very fun game. I know some of our Space Harrier pals in the uh, Strike Blazinger uh, development team are not huge fans of the game. I think it's Uh-oh. fun. Um, uh, I think they think it's, it's a little too slow and they have problems with it, but I, I get where they're coming from. Um, you, however, I mean, you're playing Opa Opa in a 3D space Harrier world. And to me, that's a Sega fan's dream come true. It's just a shame that the game's never seen a release outside of arcades. So, so can like you imagine, it. can you imagine going to the arcades, playing, finding planet Harriers, taking a date out and then trying to do the code and then she just dumps you right there because you're a nerd and she knows right away you're like how do you even know this this is ridiculous why i did <laughs> i did the horse code for daytona Ooh, that was that was good that's a cool that's a cool <laughs> that's a cool little easter egg in that game 
That's a fun one. Um, not as cool as Opa Opa. That would have been fun. Um, he was famously included in Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing. That's the However, unlike is he's the best one. Unlike the other racers, though, he acted as both a character and a vehicle, and he excelled in acceleration and handling. However, his weak areas were boosting and high speeds, and thankfully, his all-star move made up for these downfalls by allowing Opa Opa to select from three different weapons in an item shop lifted from the original game. Interesting to note, Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing is the first Sega game in which you can pit three of Sega's mascots against each other, so players can finally find out who would win in a race, Sonic, Alex Kidd, or Opa Opa. Did you ever think about mm. that? They're all playable in one game. Look at that. I didn't. I didn't think of that, but that's interesting. And uh, makes you think. It, it, I thought that the first game it, it was weird that they had Opa, but like I, I didn't expect that. That's it shows Meaning you that, that like, uh, Sumo Digital went right into the fans of to the fandom, right? And I think yeah, and I think that was really his big return because we were like, holy crap. <laughs> you can play as him. People are going to know who he is. Wow. Um, and I'll get into it later. Uh, Opa Opa, <laughs> he did not return for the game's 2012 sequel. I think that was a huge shame because he can transform. He would make a great boat. He would make a yeah. great fighter jet. He flies. And then for land, you could have him running with his little feet. Like, I don't know what they were thinking. They, I love Transform, but there were some questionable decisions made with that roster, I will say. There's some great roster decisions, and then it's like a guy from a YouTube channel, you know? Yeah, like some guy uh, from YouTube got, got a cameo, but Opa Opa or Boy, nothing? All yeah, right. Yeah, but we did get um, Alex Kidd for Christmas, so that was nice. Um, he does, however, appear as a giant holographic statue in the game's final track, Race of Ages, which also features the Dragon from Space Harrier and a remix of the Space Harrier theme. Um, other Opa Opa appearance, appearances include Sonic Riders, Sonic Adventure 2 as a DLC kart racer, and as a caddy in the PC game Sega Splash Golf. Um, the Fantasy Zone theme can be heard in Samba de Amigo and also in Virtua Striker 4 as a cheer. Oof. So, um, (laughs) so our last little, the last little cameo we got here. So, Opa Opa is also notable for being (laughs) the Segabit mascot. Um, oh, yeah. And so I have. This is in the history books, right? This one? Right, right. So, I wanted to talk to you about this briefly before we end the show. So, from my memory, Sega Bits did, just had the logo. Just the, that little Sega and Bits. Bits, right, correct. Um, Bits itself was a font. Yeah, I, think. I just took randomly. I just put like pixelated font. Oh, that looks cool. And I just okay. put it together. That's it. There's right. no more thinking about yeah. it. And then when we were updating the site, our, um, our webmaster, uh, I don't know what he calls himself now. Happy Cat, I'll call him. Um, he he uh, was like, hey, we need a new logo. Me being a graphic designer was like, I'll help make a new logo. So I built it out and I was looking at it and I was like, I, I really think it was me that tacked Lo- Opa Opa on because Opa Opa was our favicon for the site. It was that little icon that appears in the upper corner. It's still there, actually. It's... um. It's when you, like, view the website. Of course. It was, like, just a pixelated version. It was mostly my ideas were always to use obscure characters that people didn't talk about. Like, 
I ha- in the bottom we always have the guy with the little knife uh, from mm-hmm. uh, Streets of Rage. I don't think you could see it in the actual. No, he's still the... there though. Yeah, he's still there. He's on the still bottom there, of the site. but I can't. I can't get the web page to show him on here oh, because okay. the way it's framed. But uh, yeah, basically, so... I just like having obscure things like this. I think it's interesting because, like, I mean, it's Opa. Opa wasn't uh, wasn't popular here. Basically, is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. So when I was making that logo, I took the Opa Opa and I I wanted to elevate it into the logo. I added kind of a Nike swoosh fly around and the the image itself of him is actually from and I don't have it with me on the table here, but it's a little real life capsule toy from a uh, I think it was called like Shooting Game Historia or something, a, a capsule collection. A lot of these dark grim um capsule toys were like, you know, like from the ships like Radius and Zilius and Zivius and Hubius, and then it was Fantasy Zone with Opa Opa. And there's a specific picture of it online at that exact angle. Um, and so I traced it, including the wing, and the wing looks wonky to me. So I actually redid the wing probably about four or five years ago, added more dimension. Um, and that's the, uh, that's the Segabits logo as it is now. And like ever since then, I've looked at it and I'm like, should I do more? And it's just like, nah, it's good. It looks fine. Minimalistic <laughs> yeah. looks good. It reminds me of the early artwork. For, I mean, the, the the posters we were watching on uh, the how they did the minimal look too on their arcade posters. It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. But more and, modern. You know, he's, always, he's, he's flying upwards, always upwards into the sky. Um, so as we wrap up, um, would you like to give us any final thoughts on the Fantasy uh, Zone franchise before I read the memories? I just wanted to say that there. I, I did a, an article on on the site. If you guys want to see more about it, uh, it's basically called Sega in the Media. There's this show that came out in Japan called No Continue Kid, and they had full episodes dedicated to arcade games that were popular. During, I think it starts off the series in 1983, and then it goes by like years. So they have a they have a whole episode dedicated to columns. They have a whole episode dedicated to Fantasy Zone, and uh, mm. and then and that episode is Dad's going broke or whatever and going to sell the arcades, and they always talk about how they used to play Fantasy Zone together. So it's like the motif, and then they show the resurrections of arcades with Virtual Fighter Two. And there's a lot of Sega jokes that people might enjoy. That So that's interesting to look at if you guys have time. But just want to let you guys know there's an article on it. If you guys want to see more of it, just look at Sega Bits. Search uh, No Continue Kid or Sega in the Media. And you can see other Sega in the Media articles. But that's all I have to say about Fantasy Zone right now. Yeah, you can you... see them play Sonic 06 in Breaking Bad. That's a good one. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> as for me, um, it's it's a, a franchise that I'm relatively new to, despite how old it is. But I'm so glad that I got into it when I did. I'm very happy that Sega has returned to it so many times. I mean, the mere fact that a you know quote unquote new title for the Switch came out in the past year or two is amazing for a franchise that is from 1986. Um, yeah, I'd suggest anyone listening to this who have not played Fantasy Zone, check it out. It can be hard, but it's a lot of fun. It's very addicting. And even if you're playing that first stage again and again, you're getting a, uh, a great experience. Um, 
So, Opa Opa, he will return in Sega Talk Fantasy Zone 2. But in the meantime, until we get to that, let's read off your memories. So if you back us on Patreon at any amount, you will get your memory read. So we have here uh, Daniel Andres. He says, I really love this game. I only recently played it on both the Master System and 3DS releases. I think the gameplay, music, sound effects, and graphics are all cute, charming, and a lot of fun. However, I I still struggle to get past the first boss in this game for some reason. I sometimes even get a game over on the first level. Overall, though, I really like the franchise of Fantasy Zone in general and would love to see a new release sometime soon. So, I would too. Fantasy Zone 3, make it happen in 2. I also threw the question to Twitter mainly because I wanted Persona Sama to reply, and he did not, so I'm very disappointed. Boring! Um, yeah, <laughs> but I will read uh, one of them. So, George, pick a number between one and three. Two. All right, two. We're going to read one from Coins and Consoles. So they said, Discovering this wonderfully deceptive Dayglow universe back in 1987 is a cherished gaming memory have loved Opa's Opa, Opa Opa's various adventures and cameos within Psycholore from Arnold Palmer's Golf to Zillion game and anime, and even the offbeat Space Fantasy Zone for the PC Engine. Classic. Wow, throwing out all those references. Um, so there we have it. That's Fantasy Zone done. George, do you want to tease what we're covering on the next episode, or is it still undecided? It's undecided because I, I can't decide until like the last second. So I, oh, thi- I'm thinking, I'm thinking of something like third party because we've are, we've gone in, we've gone in the '80s. I don't want to stick in the '80s anymore. And then I did okay. a mid '90s one last time with Sega Channel, which is a great episode. You guys should check it out. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm thinking maybe something third party era, maybe not Sonic Riders because you guys haven't, you know, backed this up on Patreon. But <laughs> right. maybe, uh, maybe uh, Billy the Billy Billy Hatcher. Maybe I don't know. I'm thinking Ooh. of something during that time. Maybe a Game Boy Advance game or something. But it'll be it'll be sweet. You guys will love it. I skate Sonic Advance. That's it. I'm doing it. Whoa, whoa! Catch you guys next time on Sega Talk. <laughs> Bye. Bye.